Let's open our Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16, and we're just looking at these two verses that Paul mentioned earlier, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Of course, the point of the Proverbs is to install wisdom. It was written primarily for his son to teach him the ways of life. There's not too many issues that he doesn't address or point to. But of course, the New Testament teaches us that these things, these writings, these Old Testament books, the stories, were actually written for our example, and they were written for our admonition. It says, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We should never separate the old from the new. So many times Jesus would say, it is written. This is happening because it is written. And so as we look at the Proverbs, we've been explaining that in doing so, uh, Solomon chooses to use a Hebrew form of poetry with contrasting thoughts. Example in case this morning is verses 18 and 19, where Solomon is contrasting the proud with the humble. Therefore, the name of the study this morning is the proudest and the humblest. I was thinking about it this week and praying about this particular message. It's interesting that I thought, well, who is the, who, who is the proudest that ever was, I had to come up with Lucifer. And so we'll be using him as an example as the proudest. And then I thought, well, who does the Bible say is the humblest? Well, the scriptures tell us that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. Now, that's just a little bit of a background on where we're heading this morning. Uh, the only other name that I would throw on that list is John the Baptist, because Jesus said that John... The Baptist was the greatest man who ever lived. Lucifer was the proudest. Moses was the humblest. But the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus himself, Matthew 11, verse 11, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those who are born of woman, there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Now catch this. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. There's a lot of theology in what he just said. He pointed out that John is the greatest prophet that ever lived. But even the very least born-again Christian is going to be in a higher rank, and I'll explain that, when it actually comes to the heavenly scene. Because, um, you know, just imagine being John the Baptist, what he could have done. I'm the greatest. And when when I thought it out loud, I thought, That sounds a lot like Muhammad Ali. I am the greatest. I float like a butterfly and I sting like a bee. You know, no, that's not what John said. Let me tell you what he said about himself in uh, John 3, verse 30. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. And then he goes on to say in verse 29, he who has the bride... That would be you and I. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. That would be Jesus. But the friend of the bridegroom, he's referring to himself, who stands here and hears him, he's listening to Jesus, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is full. 
And one of the points we'll close with this morning, where there's a lot of confusion, I think, in a church today, is God has a plan, a unique plan for Israel, and a covenant that he's made with them. And the bridegroom has a completely different role as the bride of Christ. And here the greatest man who ever lived lays it out. He says, I'm a friend of the bridegroom, but I'm a happy man. I'm hearing his voice. I'm not, I'm not the bride. I'm a friend of the bridegroom, meaning he's referring to his Jewishness as being the last of the prophets. Um, he is the last of the Old Testament prophets, according to the scriptures. So um, that was John's choice. When he said, I must decrease and he must increase, whenever we make a statement like that, we're actually declaring, I'm making a choice. Uh, And that's what he declared. Uh, Both the proud and the humble, when it gets right down to it, a proud man chooses to be proud. And a humble man chooses to be humbled. Uh, the truth of the matter is, many of us were f- very full of ourselves and very prideful before the Lord dealt with us and humbled us. And if I ask for a show of hands today, many of you would say, that's exactly what the Lord put me through. I was full of myself, very, very proud, doing my own thing. And uh, the Lord, you know, took me to the woodshed, and I hit bottom, and, and only then was I humbled. And I actually ask then the Lord to come into my life. My point is these things in life, we're always making choices. The example of pride, Lucifer. The example of humility, Moses. And I prayed about that. I thought about, Lord, as I think about it, I wondered, is there anything in the scriptures that actually links Moses and Lucifer together in the Bible? And the Lord actually gave me a verse just like that. It's Jude, verse 9. I'll read it to you. It says, yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. That has provoked more questions in my mind than the verse ever brings up. I mean, we have the devil coming down. The Bible says the Lord himself buried Moses, but evidently, Michael had to show up. He's, he's the warrior. Remember, Michael and his angel will make war with the devil and his angels, Revelation 12. Now they're fighting over the body of Moses. Everybody's going, why? And I, I do not have an answer for you. But it's interesting that um, there is a verse that actually ties these two together. What did the devil want with the body of Moses? This is one of my questions I'm going to ask someday. And um, I've read commentaries. People have opinions, but I'm not happy with any of them. (laughs) So I'll find out someday. The Bible says, we will know as we are known. So the second I get to heaven, I'm going to go, oh, that's why. And uh, we will just know. So let's look at what brought Satan down with his choice. And it was clearly a choice. And what choice did Moses make that made him be referred to as the humblest. Let's turn in our Bibles. Our our scripture references are up on the screen to Isaiah uh, chapter 14 this morning. Picking it up in verse um, 9. The conversation begins in hell. 
And this, again, provokes much uh, question and thinking in my mind. Verse 9, hell from beneath is excited about you, to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It raises up from their thrones and all the kings of the nations. They shall all speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. All and the sounds of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spread over you and worms cover you. And then it pr- progresses with the, what, we, what uh, we, I like to call the five I wills. And the center letter of pride is I. How have you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? Why? For you have said in your heart, here's the choices he made. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. And there are the five I wills, declaring um, his choice and his plan. However, verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. And those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness, who destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners. We don't have a lot in the scriptures, a little bit in Job, a little bit when he uh, beguiled Eve in the garden, um, scattered throughout the New Testament, which I will refer to. But I want to add the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, as our next uh, reference point where he's spoken about directly, and it gives us a little bit more information concerning him. Now, when you think of the devil, usually he's portrayed as um, uh, the most hideous-looking creature with horns and pitchfork and the whole nine yards. Well, to the uh, contrasting truth, just the opposite is true. Of all of God's creation, he was the most beautiful. That's what we read in um, verse 12. He says, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord. The chapter begins with a declaration to the prince of Tyre. So we went from a prince to a king. There was a prince of Tyre. But this one was clearly not the prince of Tyre as a man because he was in the garden of Eden. So You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Just let that sink in for a moment. He was the most perfectly created creature in beauty that ever existed. That's what the Bible teaches. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, the tope. Has the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald and with gold. The workmanship of your trimbles and pipes 
was prepared for you on the day you were created. Now, there's doctrines that say that Jesus and Lucifer were brothers. No, he was a created being. And my Bible tells us in 1 John and Colossians 1 that all things were created by him and, and, and for him. Jesus Christ was the creator of Lucifer in the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers, evidently over the throne, having this great beauty, full of wisdom, and had this um, place of prominence in the heavens like no other being. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. And then this little word that changes everything, until. Until iniquity was found in you. What iniquity? The five eyes back in Isaiah. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they may gaze at you. You defied, you defiled your sanctuaries, and by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from the midst, and it devoured you, and I turned you into ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a whore and shall be no more forever. So he has his time. Jesus actually made reference to him being cast to the ground in verse 17. Jesus talking to his disciples in Luke 10 said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And... um, He's referring to this event that took place here. Now, a lot happened when the earth was forfeited um, by Adam and Eve. They were told to till the garden to keep it. It was theirs. But with the fall, um, call it what you will, the title deed, whatever, the planet earth was forfeited, where now the enemy is actually the God of this present world. Jesus verifies this and talks about it in the New Testament. Now, as we talk about pride this morning, there's one thing that is consistent with with pride, and that is pride desires others to worship that person. And they also desire followers. So when Jesus had his first attack from the enemy. I'm reading from Luke 4 right now. It says, The devil took Jesus to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. You can only have multidimensionalism in order for that to happen. And so that was at his control. He's called the prince and the power of the air. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you. Well, in order to give it to him, you have to have it. And so he has that authority and the glory 
for this has been delivered to me. Well, where was it delivered to him? It was forfeited in the garden. When we get to the book of Revelation, and Jesus takes the scroll, Revelation 5, out of the Father's hands, actually what he's taking back is the deed to planet Earth. uh, He says, I'll take that. I bought it uh, on the cross when I died, and I, I repurchased it, but now I'm reclaiming it. The Bible says we... Uh, all things are, will be under his feet, but we don't see all things under the Lord's feet yet. He's allowing the church age to work out. He's not willing that any should perish. So he's being patient. Uh, some of you, a uh, couple of the young gals that got baptized, of course, that wasn't all of them. I wish we could have showed the whole thing. It was such a blessing last Sunday. Beautiful day. But, um, you know, if the Lord would have came two years ago, some of those people getting baptized, would be going through the tribulation right now. So the Lord in his wisdom and his patience, not willing that any would perish, is um, allowing things to go until he says, that's it, no more. And then he said, uh, the devil said, it been delivered to me and I, I can give it to whomever I wish. Uh, Jesus said <clears throat> that uh, there is one coming that will accept what's being offered here to Jesus. That person is referred to as the Antichrist. Jesus turned it down. The Antichrist is going to accept it. Verse seven, therefore, if you will worship me, see, this is what pride wants, the worship. Uh, Before me, it's all yours. You just get down, Jesus, and you worship me. And Jesus answered and said to him, get behind me, Satan, for it is written, see, prophecy. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only will you serve. He wants followers. We don't know how many millions, it just says 10,000s times 10,000s times 10,000s in, in Revelation. There's a lot of angels, let's just put it that way. But one-third of the angelic realm, he was so uh, persuasive that the Bible teaches in Revelation 12:3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon, seven heads and ten horns, and said seven diadems on his head. His tail, and when you get down to verse 9, it tells us, it explains that the fiery red dragon is the devil himself. And he drew a third of the stars, or the angels of heaven, and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, Israel, who was ready to give birth, this is Bethlehem, to devour the child as soon as it was born. Satan uses human instruments many times to accomplish his task. In this case, it was Herod. The three wise men came and said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? They checked it out and they said, Bethlehem, are you afraid of? And so off they went. And he said, make sure you come back and tell me where he is because I want to worship him too. Angel appeared to him and says, don't do it. Don't do it. Herod blows his top and sends his henchmen, and they kill every male under two years old in in Bethlehem. That's what this is referring to in verse 4. The dragon was there, ready to devour the child, Jesus, as soon as he was born. Well, pride wants worship. Pride wants followers. One-third of what was angelic beings were cast to the earth also. This could be a very, very lengthy Bible study if I just got sidetracked on this. 
Some of them evidently are alive and active. There are some that are so ferocious that according to Jude, they're held in chains and and reserved for the day of judgment. Some of them are only going to be let loose during the great tribulation period, especially the four by the Euphrates. And um, there's different ranks of authority, and um, there are demons that uh, seek to uh, really destroy your life. And that brings to be his goal. What is Lucifer's goal for this planet? John 10.10. The thief, that's what the Lord calls him here, does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Satan wants to rip you off. He wants to kill you and destroy you. On the other hand, the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you life and he wants to give you an abundant life He says, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free and he'll fill you with joy. Good time for an amen right there. That's the truth. We have the ultimate contrast here. One who wants to wipe you out and one who wants to be your husband and you be the bride and have you maintain fullness of joy. He's also focusing his attack on Christians but primarily Christian leadership. In Jesus' day, it would have been Peter. And so we read in Luke 22, he says, Pete, come on over, I want to talk to you. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. And the Lord says, but I've prayed for you, Peter. Interesting answer, but I prayed for you. He doesn't say I could take him out with one word of my mouth. He doesn't do that at all. He just says, I pray that your, your, your faith won't fail. His biggest objective, Lucifer, is his hatred of the Jewish people and his attempt to destroy them as a nation and as a people. It's been going on throughout history. The whole book of Esther is a, a beautiful woman who marries the king. Um, there's a man named Haman who despises the Jewish people, especially Mordecai, which happened to be Esther's uncle. And he was so upset with them, he talked the king into making this decree. You know, there's these strange people around. They got their own laws, their own customs. They don't respect you. I suggest you wipe them all out, every single one of them. And so they cast lots, Purim, that's the celebration, that's where we get the word Purim from, And it was determined on a certain day, every Jew would die. Well, you know the story. Uh, Uncle Mordecai goes to Esther and says, this is your time. How do you know that you weren't queen for such a time as this? You better go talk to your husband. She says, well, if he doesn't invite me in, I'm dead. And he says, you got a choice to make. Her choice was, if I die, I die. And she went in, and he looked at her and said, how do you want you want? He said, well, there's this decree out there that, that, uh, that Haman made that um, you signed that kills all of my people because I'm a Jew too. And you know the rest of the story. My point is the, the devil used a human instrument to try to wipe out all the Jews in history at one time. It's been 70 years now since the end of World War II, But the human instrument, of course, during that time was Adolf Hitler. 
And just like the Ayatollahs in Iran right now, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf, clearly laying out what he was going to do, and he did. Just as the Ayatollahs today that say, as soon as we get the bomb, we're going to take out Israel. Two days after we made our so-called agreement and pledged them $150 billion, they come out and tell us what we're going to do. I mean, how, how naive can our leadership be? Then, then uh, so just, you just got to roll your head and go, who, what? You know, I, I really need to get back to the study because I really want to get sidetracked right now. So World War II, and I've been there, and I've seen it, and words can't describe um, Birkenau or Auschwitz. It's, it's beyond words. Um, but yet in the future, this is one I actually ha- I want you to turn to, Revelation chapter 12. And um, in it, um, we see that his final attempt, and let me lay this out for you a little bit, is to destroy Israel. And here's why. The last thing that Jesus said when they finally rejected him as their Messiah, he says, you're not going to see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he put blinders on their eyes, as it says in Romans. Blindness has happened to Israel in part until, two two different groups here, Blindness has happened to the Jewish people until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. So when he turned away from ministering to Israel, he says, you're not going to see me until you say, blessed is he who comes again in the name of the Lord. Well, that's exactly what Revelation 12 is about, picking it up in, oh, verse 12, let's go there. Um... He has been cast, like the book of Job, he still has access to heaven. And uh, verse 7 talks about the war, that angel wars that took place between Michael and his angel and the devil and his angels, and they were cast out. And he's cast out with great wrath and fury, knowing it says he's only got a short time now. He only has one more card to play, and that is to somehow destroy the Jews before they can call out upon their Messiah, like Jesus said, you're not going to see me until you say. So the tribulation primarily is breaking the nation down, the remnant that's left, until they get to the point with the teaching of Moses and Elijah, where they call upon Jesus to rescue them. So if he can get there and destroy them first, there's nobody to call out. That's his thinking. That's his train of thought. Let's read it. Verse 12, therefore rejoice, O heaven, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. How much time? Three and a half years. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman, Israel, who gave birth to the male child, Jesus. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, Uh, that she might fly into the wilderness to the place where she is nourished for, notice, a time, time, and half a time. I just told you three and a half years, right? Well, a time is a year, times plural is two years, and a half a time is three and a half years, another way of saying it. 
So he knows he's just got that much time to wipe out every remaining Jew. Now there is, some people completely eliminate the book of Revelation. They say, oh, it's just symbolic. And uh, there are places, I personally believe, that two wings of a great eagle is nothing more than a 747 or some uh, planes that are able to get them out of Dodge quickly. Could be wrong. But um, verse 15 says, So the serpent, Lucifer, spewed water out of his mouth like a flood. I believe that's really an army. Um, But it could be literally that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood, but the earth helped the woman, opened the mouth, and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Dwight, do you really believe that the ground is going to open up and swallow up people? Has that ever happened before? Well, actually it has. (laughs) Moses said, those who are on my side, come on over here. Those who are on Korah's side, you guys go over there. And as soon as they went over there, the earth went, and they all went down. So this has happened before. And the dragon uh, was enraged with the woman, Israel, and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. There will be many saved during the great tribulation period. Well, let's finish up with him and what is Finally, his fate. We just read in Ezekiel, and you shall be no more forever. But at the very beginning of the kingdom age, 1,000-year reign, we find that he's chained and locked up for 1,000 years. So let's go to Revelation 20, just a couple pages over. Draw your attention to verse 7. Choices, choices, choices. Free will. Can you imagine living in the perfect environment, a world where the curse has been removed, animosity in the animal kingdom? Your best friend might be a lion or a tiger or a bear, oh my. (laughs) And uh, it's just tranquility. Everybody has their own apple orchard, and it's absolutely beautiful. And to top it all off, you have the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, ruling everything. And even with that environment, when Satan is released, why, did, why, why was he released? Well, what was he used for in the first place? To present an alternative of not having, not having to follow God if Adam and Eve didn't want to. And the same is here, too. After the thousand years, we enter eternity. The question is, do you really love me? Do you really want to spend eternity with me? And what if I gave you an opportunity to choose? So why is Satan released? Well, he's released to provide the other alternative. And the amazing thing to me is, and and what proves what the Bible says is true, that the heart of man is continually wicked. They still have human bodies during the millennium. Age and longevity will be restored for sure. But... um, In verse 7, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and he will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. This is one of the reasons Bible teachers believe when we read Ezekiel 38, uh, this is a reference to a leader but also probably a demon. 
to gather them together to battle whose numbers is at the sand of the sea. They went up to the breadth of the, of the earth and surrounded the camp and the saints and the beloved city. We're talking about Jerusalem. And fire came down from heaven out of God and devoured them. Just like that. Verse 10, what's his fate when all is said and done? The proudest creature ever made. And what does the scripture say? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The epitome of that statement is Lucifer. And his fate? And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. End of story, end of Lucifer, and we enter into an eternity where there is no more of our own free will. We have chosen to stay with the Lord, and of our own free will, some of them actually were deceived by Lucifer. All right, let's switch gear and talk about the humblest. Any of you guys here that are sitting, and I can see the sun coming down, um, and the glory of God shining all around you. <laughs> if you want to scoot over a little bit, Dick, you're going to be more comfortable, or Patty, because it's, uh, there you go. You're not disrupting me. Dick, you want to move? You, you are disrupting me, but uh, <laughs> it's just too much, too much shine coming off the top of that. Uh, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Moses, let's turn to uh, our book of Proverbs, and here's the contrast. We have, we've had the proudest and now the humblest. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with, with the proud. And again, I'm, I'm making the point of people exercising their free will. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Hebrews, yes, I have that on there. Um, it's a choice. Moses made a choice. In Hebrews chapter 11, he was raised, of course, in the courts of Pharaoh, possibly the heir to the throne. He was trained in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he did that for 40 years of his life. And then, for the next 40 years, he lived as a shepherd, and he had the encounter with the burning bush. He was called by God for the next 40 years to lead them out of Egypt and through the wilderness. So he lived for 120 years before Jude 9 comes in the, the battle. But in verse 24, it says of Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a choice. And the very next word says, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passion, passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, uh, which lest uh, who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And by faith they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, and where in the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And so 
the humblest man in the world, I have uh, I, um, got a nice email from Russ Miller the other day. He said, just got an uh, email from a high school teacher somewhere here in Wisconsin. And um, she said, I've been using your, um, uh, your teachings that you do on, on creation at the Grand Canyon. And it's really having an impact. And uh, so he shot it off to me. He says, this, this will make your day. But one of the reasons I respect Russ as much as I do is he was pretty well self-made, ready to retire at the age of 42. He's a very bright man, and uh, he was going to retire at 48. But he says, Dwight, and I got to know him, he says, I, I didn't want to live to make money. It just wasn't satisfying. And so he made a choice. He made a choice so that he'd rather serve the Lord than retire at 48 and um, be a millionaire. Here, Moses very possibly would have inherited the most powerful position on planet Earth. But he chose free will to suffer affliction with the children of God and the passing pleasures of sin that went along with the Egyptian lifestyle. It's a choice. And so in that choice, uh, we see that um, he lived out his time and uh, Moses could not lead the children of Israel into the promised land. Uh, You know, many times I say for every New Testament teaching, there's an Old Testament picture. It would wreck the picture if Moses was the one leading them into the promised land. Why? First uh, John 1.17 says, Grace, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Who represents the law? Charlton Heston coming down with the Ten Commandments, right? He represents the law, but the law cannot bring you into the promises of God, the promised land. It wrecks the picture. Who could do it? Oh, this guy named Joshua. And uh, Joshua in the translations, is actually Jesus. The law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can bring you into the promises of God. Somebody want to give me an amen on that? So the picture's there. Moses had to die uh, somewhere up there, and uh, for some reason, there was a dispute over, over the body. Well, the Lord's not done Matter of fact, he actually showed up in Jesus' time very, very much alive. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17. Find it myself here. Matthew 17, uh, picking it up in verse 1. All of a sudden, here's Moses and Elijah. Verse 1, now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, brought them to a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, Moses, holy Moses, here's Moses. (laughs) And Elijah appeared to them and talked with them. Imagine being these three disciples, and you got Moses and Elijah standing in front of you. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, this is good for us to be here. 
If you want to, we'll make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he's rambling on, the Father speaks from heaven. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. You see, the guys are all hung up. Moses is here. Elijah's here. And uh, to set things straight, the Father speaks from heaven and says, No, this is my beloved Son. This is what I want you to listen to. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were greatly afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and don't be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they went down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered, and catch this, Jesus answered and said unto them, Elijah truly is coming. Future tense. He said, Elijah is going to come. Future tense. And he will restore all things. In the, in the book of Malachi, uh, chapter 5, the very last two verses in the Old Testament says this. I'm going to send you Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of the father towards the children, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. That's how the Old Testament ends. That was past tense. But here he clearly says, sometime in the future, Elijah is going to come again. But then he says, but I say to you that Elijah has come already, and they did not know him, but they did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that they spoke of them of John the Baptist. There's a scripture that says that the spirit that was on John was also the same spirit on Elijah. He came in the power and authority of Elijah. So what I want to point out, though, here in, in verse 11 is where is he coming in the future? And to answer that question, we need to go back to the book of Revelation chapter 11. So let's go there. Chapter 11, verses 3, beginning with verse 3. At this time, we just mentioned that Lucifer is going to be cast down. He has a time, times, and half a time, three and a half years to try to get rid of Israel. I believe immediately after the rapture of the church, the two witnesses appear. We're told here that their testimony is going to be in verse 3, 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. That's exactly three and a half years. And um, we're told, I will give power to my two witnesses, and that'll be their length of time. So for the first three and a half years, along with the hundred and 44,000 that are sealed. There's going to be a great revival. Then we read, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the whole earth. Extra credit, go home and read Zechariah chapter 4. It goes into great detail, basically explaining that God's going to let them do whatever they want to do and they'll have the authority and the power to do it. Unlimited power. Then, verse 5, if anybody wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth 
devours their enemies, and if anybody wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut heaven so that it does not reign in the days of their prophecy. Question, how long is the days of their prophecy? Answer, somebody tell me. Three and a half years. So you're saying, Dwight, you really believe that it's not going to rain for three and a half years? Has that ever happened before? Well, as a matter of fact, it did. As a matter of fact, it was the same guy who did it, Elijah. Elijah says to Ahab, Ahab, it's not going to rain again until I say so. And uh, three and a half years later, then and only then did it rain after Elijah took care of the 450 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. Who's God here? If Baal's God, worship him. And so they worship Baal from morning till noon, and, and um, Elijah just gets sarcastic with him. He's probably sleeping. Maybe he's taking a bath. Who knows? He's not around. And when they've had enough, he says, all right, my turn. Uh, he prays a simple prayer. Lord, show him who's God. Fire comes down, devours the altar, devours the sacrifice, um, all the water that was around it, even the stones were gone. And all the people said, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah says, take these guys out of here and get rid of them. And then it rained, but not till after three and a half years. I believe the Holy Spirit purposely has, has um, equated the similarities of the, of the rain for three and a half years with Elijah, I believe the appearance on the Mount of Transfiguration was nothing more than a staff meeting of these coming days. That's all it was. And then we read, the other guy had power over water to turn them to blood. All right? Has that ever happened before? Answer, of course, by who? Moses. So we got the same guys doing the same miracles, and I know there's controversies. Some say it's Enoch or somebody else, and and I'm not, it's not worth getting, you know, there's just some things you don't, it's not worth a debate. And you say, if you guys want to believe that, fine. I still love you anyway, okay? And that should be your attitude. If you have a difference, you should never, uh, you know, look cross-eyed at somebody because they go, Pastor Dwight thinks it's Moses. Moses died and it has to be Enoch because he, he never died. And uh, stuff like that. Well, that's fine, but. Certainly don't lose fellowship over an issue like that. Somebody want to say amen to that? You know, love trumps stuff like that. However, false doctrine, or if you want to tell me that there's another way to get to heaven besides Jesus, now you're in for a debate, okay? There are, you need to pick your wars, and you, you need to be wise in doing them. That, that one you cannot compromise on, amen? All right, okay. Um, then it goes on to say, when they had finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit made war with them and overcame them and killed them. And their dead bodies lied in the street of that great city, which is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. What? The Lord is calling Jerusalem like Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, today, if you go there, parts of the city, that's exactly what it's like. And their dead bodies will lie there in the streets. And uh, verse 9, and uh, then those of the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half 
days and not a lot of dead bodies to be buried. This is written in 96 AD. And yet here it's saying that everybody in the world is going to see it. Well, we get it today. We have CNN. We have Fox News. We have BBC. Everybody's going to see it. And they'll be having the cameras on it. Here's the three guys that are bringing all the trouble. We're we're not going to bury them. We're just going to leave them there. And those who dwell on the earth rejoiced over them, made merry, and sent gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. They stood on their feet, and great fear fell on all who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Come up here. And they ascended into heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw it. Everybody in the world is watching us live. I bet a lot of people got saved that day. And in the same hour, there was a great great earthquake. A tenth of the city fell. An earthquake, 7,000 men were killed. And the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is quickly coming. Moses, better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly and to divide the spoil. He made a choice to suffer affliction rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for a season. It was a choice. Um, What is Moses' future? Scripture really doesn't tell us, but he will rule and reign with the Father and the Son forever and ever, whatever capacity the Lord chooses to give to him. Proverbs 16, 9, better it is to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoils with the proud. He could have had the riches. He could have had all the wisdom of Egypt. He simply chose not to. Second Samuel 22, you will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. I have one parable for a personal application as we Go through the Proverbs. The contrasting thought, of course, this morning is the danger of pride and the blessedness of humility. And in Luke 18 will be our final verse this morning. It's a parable. So I'm going to have you turn to Luke 18. In the parable, we've... Jesus spoke a parable in verse 9. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Emphasis self, and what was Lucifer into? Pride, I. They trusted in themselves. And they were, that they were righteous and despised others. That's a pretty good definition for pride. Then Jesus says, two men went up to the, temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other one was a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself to God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector praying next to me. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I possess. And the tax collector, on the other hand, wasn't standing so closely, standing afar off. He wouldn't even so much as raise his eyes to heaven, 
But he beat on his breast saying, God, will you please just be merciful to me? I'm such a wretched, stinking sinner. Well, it doesn't say stinking, but that's what's being implied. He just, he was so aware of his unrighteousness. Sort of like Isaiah. He says, in the day that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And um, he realized, he said, woe is me, for I dwell in a land with people with unclean lips, and I've just seen a holy living God. And he was conscious of his wretchedness. And then at the end, this is Jesus' comment. He says, I tell you, this man, the one that was beating his chest, went down to his house forgiven, justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Please don't ever let your own wisdom think that there's some way other than the gospel of Jesus Christ that's ever going to get you to heaven. And... Um, Psalm 34 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and save such that have a contrite spirit. The sacrifices of God, what he wants from us is, is honesty, a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou will not despise. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand joined in hand, he shall not be unpunished. And of course, as we make our way, our text this morning was Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. And um, we'll close it with the, the second part. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly, that was Moses' choice, than to divide the spoil with the proud. May God bless his word to you this morning. Let's stand and we will pray. Lord, thank you so much for instruction As your word tells us, all scripture is given by your inspiration. It can be used for doctrine. And Lord, as we study your word this morning, I thank you that your word touches on every aspect of our life. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness when we have walked in pride or a haughty spirit. And we ask you to forgive us and to be more in nature like you. And I pray for any this morning that are being held back from giving their life to you because they feel like somehow they got it figured out some other way. I pray if necessary, break them and humble them and bring them to a place that they would be open uh, to your grace and, and to receive you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.